Hear now the word of the Lord. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to us, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let us pray. Father God, come before your holy and errant word this morning. And now as we begin to unpack it, let us have courage, let us have understanding, let us um, see the wisdom of these verses, help it to bless our lives, help us to grow more in love with the personal work of Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit, Lord. We need a word from you, Lord, this morning, and so feed us from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Little is shocking to me these days. It seems I've, I've grown numb to the kinds of stories that just continue to happen. Oh, Canada's building walls around Reformed churches in Alberta. Fences. First one wall, and then they put a black covering over it so you couldn't see inside, and then they, a couple about 20 feet, built another wall. And then they are now, I guess, as of yesterday, working on a third wall, manned by police and volunteers, in order to prevent a church that has not had COVID spreading through it. No outbreak has been found in the church from meeting after they had already arrested the pastor for well over a month, kept him in jail. A reformed pastor, a man who went to master seminary. It doesn't really shock me because that reality, nations, governments not liking Christianity. And, 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 and let me be clear. If you think a bunch of people can pile into an airplane and be safe, and yet people can't voluntarily come to church, I, just, I don't have enough faith in my government or governments to believe that. But that doesn't really shock me, as I said, because that's what governments have tended to do in history. And if we don't learn from history, if we don't know our history of the last hundred years even, or even the history of this continent, we're not going to learn from that. But there was another headline this week, and it uniquely grieved me. got to me this week, especially in respect to this passage that we're about to, to look at today. 
There's this book, this devotional book that a few in the media picked up on and, and it just confronted me throughout the week. It has been one of the best-selling religious devotionals of 2021. At last check, yesterday evening, it ranked 4.7 out of 5 stars on Amazon.com. And I kid you not, at 7.25 p.m. when I checked the reviews of this book, it had 666 reviews at Eastern time, and Eastern time. It has rave reviews on Goodreads as well. It rates nearly a 4.6 out of 5 with 800 reviews checking in. In part buoyed by the Lenten season, this devotional has risen to the ranks of a New York Times bestseller. It is sold in stores like Target. You could go after church and go to the Royersford Target and there are six copies available for you there. The closest Target to where we meet. If you prefer online, Amazon.com will ship you this devotional. I'm speaking of a devotional innocently called A Rhythm of Prayer. That sounds nice. A Rhythm of Prayer. And yet it sounds directly opposed to the kind of liberating freedom Paul's going to boldly announce in our passage today. This devotional is antithetical to the very gospel itself. And I really do struggle to do what I'm about to do and read a small part of this struggle Uh, this devotional publicly. I know we have young ears here, and I know some are mine. And we want these moments in worship to be away from the laments of the world and sadness going on in the world. But much like a doctor who tells you the diagnosis, even though you don't want to hear it, I think it's important for us to understand what is in some of the best-selling devotionals in America today. Because it's going to help us greater, more richly and greatly appreciate the better antidote the Scripture gives that Paul offers us in Ephesians, the end of Ephesians chapter 2 and the beginning of Ephesians chapter 3. We can't just be the people who Monday morning quarterback and judge our ancestors in history and say things like, what if they had spoken out more boldly against things like segregation and slavery in their lifetime or, or ideas like Aryan racial ideas that people like Planned Parenthood's founder Margaret Sanger had or Hitler had. We can't just look at them and not look at our own time and some of the struggles, some of the things coming down the road, some of the things that we look at and people are calling good in our society. So what is a sample prayer from this devotional? The prayer begins with, Dear God, please help me to hate white people, or at least want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them, individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls, to stop believing they can be better, that they can stop being racist. She then continues on in this prayer to make clear she's not just... She's not talking about, you know, the kinds of people all of us find offensive, the overt racist people. She says, I find those people easy to hate. Now, she later goes on to state in the prayer, help me to hate the other white people. You know, the nice ones. The Fox News loving Trump supporting voters who don't see color. 
with godless filth disguised as religion. And, and while I tend to be more the stoic than the crier, I tell you when I first read those words, because there is a godless strain of hate towards biblical morality these days and biblical answers to division. And more than that, there's a godless strain of how reconciliation truly comes about in society. And as we can see in our popular devotionals, they're available at local targets, even within the church itself. This problem isn't, the good news is this problem isn't a unique problem. The situation is not unique because we find ourselves in 2021 reading a letter where Paul addresses this. Even when we were downstairs in the study beginning our series in Romans, Paul is writing that letter as well, in large part response to these divisions and lines that we draw as humanity. Humanity's foolishness to divide over how much pigment pigment we have in our skin or the financial strata that we've achieved or a whole host of other superficial differences and political allegiances is not something just that this nation struggles with, but it's been a story throughout history. And so let us begin to see a better way to find harmony in this life. One that does not judge or hate big swaths, swaths of people, but finds unity through the content of Christ's character. Paul begins our passage today by talking about the believing community called Christians in general. Some, some suggest and some think in this first verse that maybe he's speaking only to the Gentiles, but actually in the underlying Greek, he's being intentionally vague. It can apply to Jew and Gentile alike. And, and I believe there's a reason for this. The book is written by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think Paul here is showing his hand. He has a different idea in mind when he starts talking about strangers and aliens. He's talking about a third kind of people. What some theologians have called a third race of people. One made up of every tribe and ethnicity. And Paul has some interesting words that still carry a lot of weight in our day and age in America. If I said illegal aliens right now, what would you think of? Legal aliens. You would likely think of people coming into a foreign land without permission by the government, government to live in it, to reside in it. They haven't gone through the process of appealing for citizenship. Well, Rome had this problem. It was a common problem. They frequently had barbarians who wanted to become a part of their society. One of the great ironies of Rome is that it would be conquered at times by barbarian tribes. And when they conquered it, they wanted to become the new Caesar. They wanted to become a Roman. One of the things that allowed Rome to thrive is that it had this revolutionary system of legal citizenship that helped bring in people who wanted to uphold its ethics. And they wanted to commit their lives to earning that citizenship status. This was a common idea in Paul's age, tying this imagery that we were before receiving Christ. We were illegal aliens, Christian. Before we knew our Lord and Savior, we had that personal relationship of believing in Him. We were illegal aliens. 
If you still refuse to bend the knee to Christ, you're an illegal alien. You are in one sense trespassing on this earth that is our Lord's, the fullness thereof. If you, don't, if you go on venture onto private property and you don't know who the owner is, you're liable to get shot. And yet if you know the owner, of course you're, you're welcomed on that property. This is His creation. The Lord, Jesus is Lord over it all. And until the moment where you truly surrendered to Him, you bowed the knee, you, you, you received through the power of God a spirit that loved, began to love God, to wanting to be faithful to Him, you were a sojourner and an alien. We see a tragedy down in our border. Uh, hordes and hordes of people coming, and there's this massive overcrowding, hoping to live in this land, reap its benefits, and regardless of where you fall on that politically, remember that before you knew Christ, that's you. That's you. That's you. You're someone who desires if you're... And so that's the reality. Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. Black, brown, or white, that also doesn't matter. You only gain true citizenship. A citizenship that will come into its fullness in a new earth, a new heavens, a new earth that he will grant us. You will only get this citizenship if you first receive Jesus. In our citizenship, this new nation of people Christ has established, what founding principles was it built on? Paul actually tells us in verse 20. We see its foundation is through the prophets and the apostles, which is really a reference to the Bible itself. If we want to know our foundation, if we want to know our guiding document, then we need to know the Bible. Lots of, lots of people are sad to see Christianity leave the moral ethic of our nation, and yet they, they forget to study the founding document that helps establish, helps teach us our faith. Starting with Moses all the way to the Apostle John, with roughly 40 writers, this document helps establish a new nation with a citizenship unlike any other. And yet the Bible itself, as Paul is making clear in these verses, is not enough. While the Bible is a beautiful book, and it stands unmatched in history, even by the standards of being a book, the Apostle continues by telling us, Jesus is the thread that brings it all together. He brings the Scriptures together. He brings this new nation together. He brings a new race of people together. Jesus is the great unifier. He can unify a Bible that was written in three different continents. And even parts of it were written in heaven itself. The Bible's not enough to be a guiding document for a new harmonious group of people if we don't have Jesus. That's why Jesus is the cornerstone, as Paul says here. He joins it all together. If Jesus did not come, if Jesus is not true, if Jesus did not fulfill the Scriptures, then our faith is in vain, folks. We might as well study Star Wars up here next week, or Lord of the Rings, or something else. But of course it is true, Jesus has come. And the Spirit of God has started the process of building His church together, building us together, so that we might be one day perfect citizens in harmony with one another. 
I had a midweek visitor this um, week up here in the sanctuary. He's asking questions about what, what is kind of the philosophy of this church. He came from another faith background. And I said, well, we just, we just kind of march through Scripture. We just tend to go verse by verse through books because ultimately the Bible just, just have to know that the Bible itself, it's authoritative. It, it moves us. It is our founding document. It is, uh, it has the ability to speak to us. No other way to set up a church can really thrive, especially thrive in the climate of Christianity that is before us. Because if you don't know the constitutional and foundational document and the individual that binds it all together, you have nothing. When the going gets tough and the world asks of you, are you a citizen of our worldly philosophies or are you a citizen of Christ's new nation? How will you be able to withstand if you do not love the Lord your God and his word? Now let's look at the building project of verses 21 through 22. In every believer who ever lived, God has begun building harmony. He's building something. He's building a beautiful uh, building project with other citizens of his. He builds people together. And I want you to picture a normal building project. What happens in a normal building project? First, you, you create a foundation. You level the site. You create a, a point in which you build upon, which is Christ. We build upon Christ. And then what happens is people bring in construction crew, the, the, the head of the construction project, brings in materials, a variety of materials, rebar and rock, uh, cement, wood, nails, all of these things, a variety of things that are going to be adjoined together to create the structure that's being built. You don't do a building project and only have nails. You don't do a building project and only have drywall. You need a variety of pieces. And what does God do then? He begins putting these pieces together through the power of the Spirit. Member A in the pews, who might be a nail, becomes close to member B, who normally they would never talk, and that nail connects to a piece of wood. And then non-member C, their drywall, they get linked with this. Piece by piece, building goes on. People being welded together, becoming closer from every tribe, every nation, every background. This is how our Lord builds. When we step back and we think of the true church, and it's not just something being built in Hartleysville. It's not just something being built in 2021. It's something that's been built since the beginning, since our first parents, Adam and Eve, believed the promise of God that a Messiah would come. Savior would come. Always centered upon the person of Christ. And so this is why it grieves me that at least six copies of a book in Royers are available in a Royersford Target that claims to be praying to the God of Scripture and says in a prayer, God, help me hate some of the building materials that you have chosen in your temple. If you hate the variety of every nation, 
of every tribe that God is knitting together in a new united race, then you hate God. God is the master builder. And there are only two kinds of people in this world when it comes to evaluating his workmanship. Those who love the master builder and plead with him, Lord, Lord, continue building. Or continue, Lord, we need this building to come together, Lord. I want to see this building filled with a great litany of saints from every era, from every tribe, every nation. I want to see a beautiful cascade of colors and faces and people. I want to see what the Apostle John saw in Revelation. Or that other kind of individual, individual, the one who hates the master builder and how he brings different material together. It's a spirit of division. God hates it. You know, one of the exciting things about COVID is it has brought some new material into the church, new individuals. Maybe for a short time, maybe more for some of you more permanently. And God's been doing amazing things with that new material. And yet a temptation might be, because I know how fickle we can be as humans. We're people who often don't like change. When God brings new materials in, and he's, he's building something new in the community, it should be our joy to watch it together, but we say, oh, I, don't, I don't want anything to change. And I know while I'm still a, a youngish pastor here, and so I get labeled a change agent, I, I'm just going to confess a moment of myself. I had to catch myself recently because, because we have uh, where I had to kind of repent of this, this desire not to change things. So at the last consistory meeting, we were talking about the need for another classroom for Sunday school because for some reason, some of these young adults don't want to listen to my awesome studies, but think maybe at times they would like to do their own study on their own. Abby, what gives? JD, what gives? <laughs> Caitlin, Audrey, what gives? And so we've been talking about how do we get a third classroom here so we can do uh, more classes. And Pat Frederick, after the consistory meeting, goes to the back of the church and, and he, he goes, you put drywall up here, you put like a door, some sort of door here, and you got two classrooms in the back. And I at first tell Pat, no, you can't do that, Pat. Because I'm thinking about all the things that would change. Certain things that we do in that back room and having the fullness of it. Because I'm one of those people who'd rather give you five bad ideas quickly than sit on it for a little while, think it over. But when I got home, I started to think about it a little more. And I go, actually, that's a really good idea. That might be an exciting thing to build out. Because what do we do with new material? At first we say, no, I don't want it to be built out that way. But God's a builder, and God likes to do new things with new material. God sometimes likes to wear a hard hat, get his hands dirty, build new things. So we need more wisdom in those moments. And then Paul leaves in chapter 3 this general building project kind of idea to a more personal note. Paul begins to talk about what God has begun building in him. And this is a beautiful verse in chapter 3, verse 1. It's one of those tender-hearted verses that Paul writes that sometimes gets glanced over. But Paul, for the first time in this letter, he hints to us the fact that he is in prison, that he's writing this church from prison. He doesn't come out right out and say it. 
But if you're reading between the lines, it's a little bit like Paul is saying, I'm in prison because I love you Gentiles. And notice Paul doesn't see Rome as his jailer. His ultimate jailer, he's looking at a, in a greater sense, he is, his jailer is Jesus, that he loves him so much that he can't imagine being separated from him, that he's bound to Jesus, that Christ is, has bonded himself permanently to Paul. And through Christ being a bonding agent, Paul then has become a bonding agent, where Paul, Jesus, has sent him out to be a special apostle to the Gentiles. The same Gentiles Paul used to hate. The same Gentiles that Paul used to, would have been more than happy to say prayers of hating them about. The apostle Paul would have had no problem praying to strike down all the Gentiles before he became imprisoned by the love of Jesus. And now Paul, like his Savior, loves those former enemies. The ones he once hated. And that's why it's absolutely sickening that we have devotionals in this country that offer a far more wicked idea of unity than Paul's love here. And I was inspired by Paul. In this moment, I was inspired by him. And so, once I read that devotional, and I reflected on Paul's words here, I sent out an email to the author of the prayer, now sold at Target. And I wrote something brief and simple. I haven't gotten a response, but I wrote this. Hello, I just want you to know I love you, even though you hate me. May the unifying power of Christ, who in him calls us to be a new race of people, unified by his blood, with every tribe and every nation a part of it, compel you to a richer kind of love. I left her my number, shared the first question and answered the Heidelberg Catechism too, because that's the gospel. And hopefully she'll reach out. But if she doesn't, that's okay. I tried because I know the Savior who saves enemies and builds them into something greater. And as we close, we look at Paul here in verse 2, and he basically says, this is so great. I get to be a special ambassador for this God of ours. And he, in one sense, describes it like he gets to be a Sherlock Holmes. He looks out at the world and he says, the world is confounded by a great mystery. Think of the world Paul lives in. Every town he goes to has these pagan temples and pagan shrines adorned with all these gods and idols and, and everybody's trying to figure, in, figure out how to get into heaven. Growing up in San Diego, you know, they almost always when people crossed the border at the last step, they had to have money for an individual who was called a coyote. And that individual was somebody who took the foreigner, the sojourner, the alien, and helped them get across the border. They just, that was their life's work, to figure out a way to get people across the U.S. border. And in one sense, 
Paul is saying, I, I get to be a Sherlock person. I get to be a coyote. I get to help people get across the border. I get to help people find a heavenly citizenship. I get to help people like me who at one time were consumed by hate grow in love and help build together a new nation established on the scriptures, founded upon the rock that is Christ, the foundation that is Christ. And I love getting to be a part of that. That's what Paul is saying with this mystery. What a beautiful way to look at evangelism and missionary work. That when we share the gospel with somebody else, we're solving the, minis- the mystery that is within them. We're solving that most important question for them. Maybe they receive it, maybe they won't, but we get to solve the mystery. How they can escape the world we lived in and join in a new and better nation, one ruled and reigned over by a creator, one that has a heavenly ending on earth. That's the great mystery. We have in, and we have in Scripture and in the personal work of Jesus Christ the solution to the mystery. And now we get to build bonds together through the power of God working to build us together. I don't know why the world decided that saying all lives matter is an awful idea. If all lives matter, of course, that means Asian lives matter. That means black lives matter. And that means white lives matter. And Hispanic lives. And I could go on. Isn't that sad? That so many people still look on the skin color of another or and make rash judgments, myself included, when I'm weak in sin. Let us remember that we are a part of a better building project that God hasn't stopped since he first started it, that one that will bring together a variety of materials, those who were once strangers and aliens and far off, who hated one another. We will all be joined together through Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a new harmony in Christ where a variety of building materials are patched together for the glory of God. So let us not be afraid to speak up with what the Bible so clearly proclaims. Help us, Lord, please, to be bonding agents within our community. Lord, have mercy on us in the ways which we have caused division. Help us to have the courage to tell a world that largely doesn't want to hear the solution to the mystery that there is a better citizenship to be found in this world, one not based on the color of our skin or even in an ultimate sense the content of our character, but it's based on the content of Christ's character. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, as we see our world plagued with similar problems, ones that were shown in the world, even in this letter of Ephesians, of struggling to reconcile our differences through Christ. Help us to have courage to boldly be ambassadors in this world, proclaiming the goodness of Christ. Help us to have courage, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.